Good to see you all, Antioch. Good to see you from this vantage point. I get to see more faces. Um, before I move on to sharing the word, I, I need to say another word about David and Cindy. Um, just to be able to say, I've known him for like 30 years. And there's some people that you want to know when you need a manifestation of Jesus. And Paul says to carry around the death of Jesus so that the life is manifested in us. And that's when I go see David. That's how special he is. So I'm grateful to your friendship, David. Um, I want to also plug a little bit Honest Conversations. I want to talk about Honest Conversations. I don't know if you're listening to that. They launched a few weeks ago. And I just want to encourage you to make that a part of your learning um, I've been listening to these, and these are topics that are intersecting every one of our lives. It's not possible to do them all up here, but these are give-and-take discussions that are about conversations and things that we're intersecting out there, every one of us are. So I want to encourage you to tap into that. I've found them to be hugely beneficial. I've loved this series. Oh, by the way, let's take out pens and paper. We're always a Bible-believing, note-taking church, and believing that God's got something worth writing down or remembering. So I've loved this series, and I've learned a ton. And things that—I haven't learned just things that don't make me more informed about the Psalms, but actually things that are helping me bathe in the power of the Psalms in new ways. So I'm really grateful for this series. Today, we'll cover the fourth of five commonly accepted categories of the Psalms. If you missed the previous messages, I promise you they will be worth your time to go back and listen to. And I'm not sure why, but I have felt that God has encouraged me to start today by sharing what I have personally learned in this psalm series. I find it's always a good idea to listen to God. So that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a few things that I have learned so far in this series. Week one. Week one was a teaching on the wisdom and the warning psalms. And what that changed in me is that instead of just being built up by the automatically being built up by the encouraging part of the wisdom psalms, I am now rightly feeling the warning of the not so encouraging parts. So when I read in Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the paths of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, I hear and am encouraged because I don't often take the counsel of the wicked. Or I don't frequently stand in the path of sinners or take refuge with scoffers. So I feel the assurance of God's blessings through that wisdom. And, and I have times have stayed too close to the wicked. I have at times sat too, taken too lightly the path of sin. And I have foolishly stayed in the presence of scoffers and I have even joined them. And so now I'm more aware of God's loving encouragement, but also very aware of the real and stern warnings. I am now reading these Psalms by first taking an honest assessment of where I am. Because that honest assessment tells me whether or not the wisdom will be encouraging to me or a loving warning calling me back to where I need to be. Week two, the regal prophecy and kingdom psalms, the teaching about these prophecies showed me that I am an evangelical Christian, and I act like one. And that means that I take all of the scriptures, and I begin to immediately apply them to how they apply to me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's not wrong, but I did realize that I have to watch my lean 
And when I read Psalm 2 and it says, but as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, and I automatically start tying that to me in Jesus and him being my king and him running my kingdom and that I am safe in his care and protection. But I learned in week two that Psalm 2 is bigger than that. Psalm 2 and the other kingdom psalms, God is actually stepping up above just me and him. He is rightfully taking a place of authority. It's not just about personal and individual relationship with the children. In these Psalms, God is addressing everyone. Everyone, believers, non-believers, Jews, Christians, Muslims, agnostics, atheists, everyone. And he has some things to say to the world. In these Psalms, God is saying everyone and to everyone everywhere, in all your supposed enlightenment, there's only one who knows right from wrong. In all of your debating and challenging, I have news for you. There's but one truth. In all of your rebellion and jockeying for power, there's only one king. The kingdom psalms are God saying, I am not impact, impressed by your nations. I am not impacted by your political parties. I am not impressed with your military or your economic power. I am not in a contest with your kings or your kingdoms. I am not intimidated by your questions or even insulted by your mocking because I am God. And I say to all, every nation, every tongue, every religion, every atheist, every agnostic, there is one kingdom. And there is one king, and I have placed my anointed one on the throne. And nothing will ever remove it from him. I don't want to bring that down to be just about me and Jesus. I want those psalms to stay up here to address our world. I need the comfort and the power of that. I need to know God's over all. Last week, Psalms of Laments. Oh, God, help. Oh, God, act on my behalf. Oh, God, save me. Oh, God, restore me. It is good to see these psalms and that God is not scared, insulted, or intimidated by our cries for help. In fact, in fact, our cries actually come across to him as proclamations of faith. Why? You don't cry out to someone unless you believe he's real. You don't cry out to someone unless you believe he can hear you. You don't cry out to someone unless you believe he cares. And you don't cry out to someone unless he's, you believe he's powerful enough to actually impact your situation. So these cries, God hears as our faith. Praise God. So I'm learning. I've learned a lot. So learning these different contexts, categories, and purposes of these psalms has really blessed me. Knowing context and um, categories does matter. And context and understanding categories can really, really expose some things to us and different ways for us and important learning. There are simple and endless treasures to uncover. And, and don't freak out about knowing all the categories and all the contexts and all the stories behind the stories because you have the Holy Spirit. And no matter what you're doing, when you're reading it, God's going to interact if you're reading with the Holy Spirit and he will teach you. So don't worry but do continue to learn. That's an invitation that's beautiful for both ways. So this week, we're going to cover the fourth, fourth category called the hymns or the songs. Andrew was gracious to me, and he allowed me to pick which category of psalms I wanted to teach on. And I need you to understand that me teaching on songs is a step of faith. 
Anyone who knows me or knows anything about me and my voice and singing knows three things. I want to be a really great singer. <laughs> Two, I am a tragically awful singer. And three, sometimes I get deluded to think that God has changed me from an awful singer into a beautiful singer. Years ago, I was driving a lot of driving for business. And so I was driving one time, and I used to turn up the worship music and sing really, really loud because that was the one time I could sing and not hurt anybody. And so I was driving one time, and I decided, what if God has given me a beautiful voice as I sing to him? <laughs> so I turned up the music really loud. I had a recording device to record the notes from my meeting. And I turned the music really loud so I could have the music and the acoustics and all of that. And I put the device right up to my lip and I started singing for all I was worth. And what, then I turned it down and I listened to it. And what, it was tragic. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm talking tragic. I can't ever listen to it again. And to this day, I haven't recovered from what I've heard that day. And you, you laugh, but that's why I sit in row two. See, if I sit in row two, I can launch up and over row one and not hurt them. Three or backwards, my voice lands on somebody, and there will be pain and suffering in that. So me teaching on songs and psalms is a mismatch of gifting. But here goes. This week, we'll be looking at the category of psalms called hymns and more often songs. Now, this may be a bit confusing because often the psalms actually translate, the title psalms translates to melodies. And so we often, often, often think of them all as songs, and in a ways, they are. But there, inside the psalms, there is a specific category for specific psalms that are titled hymns and psalms. A couple of details about these Hebrew poetry and Hebrew songs. And I'm going to suggest you maybe you don't try to write this down. Maybe rest for just a few minutes and I'll tell you when to pick up your pens again because I'm just going to tell you a few details, but they're important details. While we use words to rhyme in our poetry and our songs, the Hebrews did not. They rhymed ideas. So they built their ideas on rhyming ideas, not words. And so these were called parallelisms. And there were different types of parallelisms. You with me so far? First parallelism is synonymous parallelism. This is the rhyming of the same idea, but using different words. So Psalm 18 is a song. And in verses 4 and 5, it says, The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Four very different statements using different words, but all expressing the same idea. That is a rhyme in Hebrew. So you follow me? Okay. Then there's also called antithetic parallelism. And this is a rhyme of opposing ideas. Same psalm. Psalm 18, verse 27 says, For you have afflicted the people, you have afflicted the people, but haughty eyes you abase. You, I'm sorry, you saved the afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. So the positive statement is that you have saved the afflicted people. The antithetical idea that still is a rhyme in the Hebrew poetry is that you bring down the haughty. See what I'm saying? Okay. These two types are parallelisms. The idea of poetry rhyming with ideas instead of words. Now, this is a strange concept to us. I'm going to take a risk here and do an illustration of what this would be like. 
It seems to me, oh, somebody just groaned. It's, it's okay, Lindsay, it's gonna be okay, I think. We'll see how this goes. I think everybody, almost everybody has seen the movie Elf. In the movie Elf, there's a time when he first meets his dad in his office. And the office thinks that he is a singing telegram dressed like an elf. And so they take him in to sing to his dad. You with me so far? His dad looks at him and thinks he's a singing telegram and just says to Elf, so are you going to sing something? Elf doesn't want to disappoint his dad, so he sings a song to his dad. And the song goes something like this. I'm here with my dad, where you've never met before, and he doesn't know that I'm adopted, but I don't even know he was born, and I love you, I love you, I love you. That's parallelism. That's Elf singing a song with all the same ideas and none of the words rhyme. How is that? Not bad. Okay. So I hope that helps, because that's parallelism. Okay, good. There's more Psalms, and there's more synthetic parallelism and progressive parallelism, but I'm not going to even try to touch those. So question, why has Andrew, why am I spending some of this time on some of the techniques and the constructs and the concepts on why these Psalms are written this way? Because sometimes it's just really cool and encouraging to know how unique and unbelievably cool our scriptures are. Even if we won't retain everything, it's just really incredible. I liken these kinds of teachings to the study of apologetics. I have read numbers and numbers of books from likes of Chesterton, Lennox, Lewis, Schaefer, Bonhoeffer, Zechariah, countless others, brilliant Christians in many different fields, books that give me more information than I will ever be able to retain, books that I fully understand maybe 50% of what I read, books that most of the arguments I won't be able to make again if I tried to give them to you, books that I will only remember about 10% after I've left it for a couple months. So why? Why even know this kind of thing? Because while I cannot explain the physics that testify to the creator making the universe, I'm really encouraged that someone can. While I cannot go through all the concept and realities that support the uniqueness and the supremacy of Christ comparing to every other world religion, I am very encouraged knowing there's somebody that can. While I cannot do the mathematical calculations to calculate the miracles that happen between the prophecies that come true in the person of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, I'm glad somebody did. And we often teach more than we can fully understand and more than we can possibly remember because the fact is these things exist in our Bible and they are true. And the Bible, and that testifies, I can't bring my Bible up here because it's too uh, heavy, it tilts the, the stand. Somebody hold up your Bible for me. These things testify how cool and unique and beautiful and powerful the Word of God is. And we just do this to be encouraged that our Bible is incredible. So with that, let's move from the constructs of the songs of the Psalms and dive into the Psalms themselves. So now, let's stand for the reading of the word. Please. Psalm 131. 
O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Lord, as we dig into these songs, these special songs, will you touch our hearts and give us realization of your love for us in giving them to us and the purpose for their giving to us. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you can, you can pick up your pans and your notepads There might be, or your phones. There might be something worth writing down going forward. So we're going to switch slightly this week. Instead of going through one psalm to illustrate this category, the psalms, we're going to go through a group of psalms that are in the hymns and song categories. And this section that we're going to go through are called the Songs of Ascent. In Deuteronomy 16, the people of God were given a command by God. 16.16 says this, Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, the festival on leavened bread, the feast of weeks, and the feast of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. And the people obeyed this year after year after year. Three times a year, no matter where they were or what they were doing, they would drop everything and they would make their way to the city of God, to Jerusalem, to be in God's presence. Now, cool, no matter where they came from, if you look at the city itself, it is elevated. And so no matter where they were coming from in the territory that they were sprawled out in, they would always be ascending to the city of God. And that's why these are called the Psalms of Ascent. While they ascended, then they arrived in Jerusalem, they would all recite and sing aloud this group of songs. Psalms group is 120 to 134. And it's called the Psalms of Ascent. Among this group of 15 psalms, there are a variety of types of psalms. There are some wisdom psalms. There are some laments. There's regal kingdom psalms. But the largest portion of these psalms are songs and hymns. And as we look at these psalms, we'll see the aim of these psalms and the songs and the hymns. And the aim is this. Full on, glory filled soul-encouraging, faith-building, history-reminding praise and worship of God. That's the goal we'll see. This whole category, it's about worship. The first Psalm of the Ascent classified as a song of hymns is Psalm 121. 121 says this, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, a familiar verse to us. From where shall my help come from? It's actually a question. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. This song has two voices represented. The first voice voices the question, where does our help come from? 
Now, the pilgrims would have been looking, as they sang this, up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is surrounded by mountain ranges. And they were looking, and the picture is that they were looking and saying, does my help come from those mountains? Those beautiful, those majestic mountains that cannot be moved, that surround and protect Jerusalem? And then the answer is in response, no. Your protection does not come from those mountains. Our protection comes from God who created those mountains. The important part is the authority of and the creator of those mountains. They're mighty, they're majestic, they're big, they do protect. But your protection is the one who actually created those mountains. And he never slips. He is never unsure and he never sleeps. That's somebody you can count on. The psalmist throughout sings of God keeping us. The word is keeping, but it actually translates guarding. It's our active term, an active verb that is the picture of God proactively looking at us and saying, I will guard you there. I will guard you there. I will move ahead of you there, and I will guard you there. It's a beautiful picture of God being our guard. The next psalm, Psalm 122 I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within our gates. Jerusalem that is built is a city that is compacted together to which the tribes go up and even the tribes of the Lord. An ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. That verse actually is a big picture of the community of God. It is the picture of God drawing the tribes together and how important it is for us to come together, to be together, to experience God. For these throne, for their thrones were set on judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Again, this was a picture of, ju- of justice. They actually went to the city, and it was many of the disputes that they had in their individual territories were brought before in Jerusalem, and they were settled there. So the picture was as they ascended, guess what they would find? Justice. Finally, justice for all people. Pray for the priests of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be with you in your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of the brothers and my friends, I will now say, many peace, may peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Jerusalem, the city of God, the presence of God, they knew that it promised peace. No wars, no conflicts, justice. They climbed, they ascended to peace. Psalm 124, the next song in the Psalms of Ascent. Had it not been for the Lord who is on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been for the Lord who is on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our souls. Then the raging waters would have swept over, uh, over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to, the torn, to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. As they ascended... They would recount and sing out loud their history with God. They would sing of his rescues. 
They would sing of his provision. And they would sing acknowledging that if it were not for God, they would have been torn to pieces by their enemy. And they put God as their truster or as their trust in their future. God is God and he does not change. By recounting their past with him, by recounting their past with him, they built trust for their future. And we must do the same thing. We sing our past to build hope for our future. It keeps us from being stuck on what may be going on right in front of us. Psalm 125. Another song in the Psalms of Ascent. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which could not be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous, so that the righteous will not put forth their hands to do wrong. Do good, Lord, do those who are good and to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But as for those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them away with the doers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. This psalm confirms that God in righteousness will always, always that good will overcome unrighteousness. This psalm is the promise singing up as they ascended, the promise that historically they could look at God and know that eventually righteousness always overcame righteousness and good always overcame evil. And they sang to remind themselves of this truth. Now, Psalm number 129, this is what is the most offensive psalm. Offensive meaning where the people actually called on God to be offensive on their behalf. Not defensive, but offensive on their behalf. And so it starts with the history of the persecution by the wicked. Many times they have persecuted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, many times they have persecuted me from my youth up, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They lengthened their furrows. Then, after recounting this persecution, then the people sang of God's history of action. And that's in verse 4. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in two the cords of the wicked. And then the last section, finally, the people sing a request for God to destroy, be proactive, and destroy all their enemies. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like grass upon the housetops which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, or the binder sheaves his bosom, nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. And those are five of the songs of the songs of ascent. The songs that the pilgrims sang as they approached Jerusalem, as they approached the city of God, as they ascended to the presence of God, they sang. And they sang of God's proactive guard for them. They recounted that he was not just sitting. He was proactively looking for his people who needed help and then acted. The creator of heaven and earth who guarded them from man and from nature and his care, nothing, nothing could harm them. And so they sang of that as they ascended. They sang of, their, they sang of the celebration that they had access to this living God. 
And they could actually be in his presence. They recognized the joy, the glory, and the provision of the unearned privilege of the unholy being joined with the holy. And so they sang of that as they approached the presence of God. And they sang of their history with God, recounting history of God's past, built their confidence, faith, and assurance of God's future provision. And so they sang of God's history with them as they approached the presence of God. And they sang the truth of the attacks of the wicked or the evil, and they acknowledged that if it weren't for God's provision, they would have been torn apart by their teeth. But God didn't intercede. And so they sang about that. They sang their confidence of God control over all things, and their confidence allowed them to make declarations about their future, the future secured by who they knew created the heaven and the earth. The pilgrimage, the journey, the upward journey to Jerusalem, the choice of these particular songs, recalling all these truths of God, singing them out loud, it was for one simple, single, powerful, life-giving purpose. The people of God sang the praises of God until they climbed into the blessing of worshiping God. They were singing themselves into worship. And I know sometimes that sounds a little weird that we think we're singing is our worship. No, we're singing to enter into worship. And they were singing so they could climb into the lap of worship. That wasn't the worship. It was so they could climb into the lap of worship. And in worship, they would find the rest of God and the peace of God. And the testimony of what they were after and what they were seeking and what they did is actually in the last song of Solomon, or the Songs of Ascent, Psalm 131. This is the description of their arrival. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor are my eyes haughty. You see, when you send all the way to worship, every wasted effort, every futile plan, and every empty pride is laid down before God. And then, nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. You see, when you ascend all the way to worship, you surrender to the reality that there are so many things completely out of your control. And I have news for us. Most of the really important things are completely out of our control. And in worship, you surrender to that realization and we exhale and say, God, this is just too big for me. Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever needed to say that? I've had to say out loud, God, this is just too big. And then it says, surely I've composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. You see, when we have ascended to worship... Although we no longer need the sustenance because we are weaned. See, it's a weaned child. 
It wasn't a child that had to go to get fed. It was a weaned child choosing to go back. We are weaned children. But when you enter worship, you, even though you are weaned, you go back out of choice, out of need, because you have to be close to God. Because the nearness of God is your good. And there we will find comfort, protection, and peace. Because there is life there next to him. And it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forward and forever. You see, in ascending to worship, we know in our hearts and our souls that we are safe today, tomorrow, forever. That's why they wanted to climb into worship. It's the place where we feel peace and rest and the most comfort. You see, in this final song, the ascension of worship is complete. And the reward, peace in the rest of God. Peace in the rest of God in the worship of God. Now think about this. Only God could say, come and worship me. Anybody else saying that? It's all about them. Anybody else saying that? It's total arrogance. Only God saying, you need to come and worship me, is about us too. <laughs> he knows there are things we'll find in his presence that we cannot find anywhere else. We are not certain of the authors or the times or even the context of each of these songs. We're not even certain of when they came together. What we do know is that under the sovereignty of God, they were put together and sung to lead a group of people into the worship of God. You see, the word of God leads us to the truth of God, which leads us to worship God. And the prayers to God lead us to the heart of God which lead us to worship God. And stopping and listening to God leads us to the mysteries that only he can tell us. And that leads to us worshiping God. And there's things we find in worship we cannot find anywhere else. We can't leave until we find worship. And I want to tell you, just I learned this. I actually heard this from God one day on a particularly tough time. We were on vacation. I was actually in this beautiful place in Hawaii. I went out to the rocks to have my time with God. And I prayed. And I read the scriptures. And I put all of my requests before God. And I was out there for about an hour. And I got up to walk away. And I started to walk back to the hotel. And I heard him say, Steve, you're not done. I was like, I prayed. I read. I gave all my requests to him. He said, you haven't reached worship yet. My gift for you is in worship. And I went back and I sat on those rocks until I climbed all the way up to worship. And it was that worship that told me everything will be okay. 
My goal is simple on every time with my time with God. I read and I pray and I listen until I reach worship. Because once I reach worship, I am safe in his hands. My daughter, my oldest daughter called me about two weeks ago. She got some really, really hard news. Hard news I can't change. And she called me and I started talking to her and I was asking her questions and she said to me, Dad, I don't want to talk about the details. And I said, honey, what, what do you need from me? And she said, I just called so that my dad could tell me everything's going to be okay. The Psalms of Ascent, they're God's letter to us, assuring us everything's going to be okay. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these beautiful songs. Even though we don't know how they came together, we are grateful for them. We believe in your sovereignty, and we believe that they have been delivered for our, on our behalf for us so that we can find the peace and rest that is described in Psalm 131. Who of us doesn't need that, Lord? And so we thank you for the gift. We thank you for the invitation that only you can give, that in worshiping you, we will find peace and rest. And so we thank you, and we come to you, asking just for that, peace, rest, and you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.